This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. In these podcasts, we uncover one chapter after another from the life of the Prophet ﷺ in an attempt to learn about him, love him, and better ourselves through his example. Immersion, mentorship, companionship, and tarbiyah. These are just a few of the things we offer alongside knowledge of the prophetic biography at Sira Intensive. Two weeks dedicated to the study of the life of the Prophet ﷺ and his noble characteristics. So this winter, join me in Dallas, Texas, alongside your classmates from all over the world to learn the story of the life of the best of humanity, the mercy to mankind, the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. Go to sirahintensive.com to register and for more information. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah beginning with uh, chapter number 18. Babu ma jaa fi sifati izari rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The chapter about the lower garment of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَحْمَدُ بْنُ مَنِيعٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا إِسْمَعِيلُ بْنُ إِبْرَاهِيمَ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَيُّوبٍ عَنْ حُمَيْدِ بْنِ هِلَالٍ عَنْ أَبِي بُرْدَةَ عَنْ أَبِيهِ قَالَ أَخْرَجَتْ إِلَيْنَا عَائِشَةُ رضي الله تعالى عنها كِسَاءً مُلَبَّدًا وَإِسَارًا غَلِيظًا فقالت قبض روح رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في هذين Abu Burda <coughs> narrates from his father who is Abu Musa Al-Ash'ari رضي الله تعالى عنه the great sahabi so Abu Burda relates from his father Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiallahu ta'ala anhu that Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha brought out to us a sheet or a shawl that had patches on it and a lower garment that was very coarse or thick. It was a rough material. And she said that the soul of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was taken while he was wearing these two garments. So of course this is Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha talking about the clothes the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was wearing on the day that he breathed, his, he breathed his last, he passed away and he was wearing these two garments. Of course the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam spent um, <clears throat> about the last week in the home of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha since he fell ill. He sought permission from the rest of his family to be able to stay there. Um, and the Prophet ﷺ on the day that he passed away, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha said, the Prophet ﷺ was wearing some of the most simplest of his clothing. The izar, which is described as the izar, is again a sheet, an open cloth, and the Prophet ﷺ would wrap it around his waist. Um, and it was made out of a very thick, coarse material. And the purpose for that, the objective, or the reason for that was that it's very durable, um, and the Prophet ﷺ, the shawl that he was wearing over his upper body actually had patches in it. The scholars talk about um, the fact that the Prophet ﷺ, 
did have other types of garments and clothing, not a lot, but nevertheless, he did have some other types of garments and clothing. And the Prophet ﷺ, because this was the time closer to his death, the Prophet ﷺ preferred to wear something that was a little bit more simpler and more worn out. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا مَحْمُودُ بْنُ غَيْلَانَ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَبُو دَعُودَ عَنْ شُعْبَ عَنْ الْأَشْعَثِ ابن سليم قال سمعت عمتي تحدث عن عمها قال بين أنا أمشي بالمدينة إذ إنسان خلفي يقول ارفع إزارك فإنه أتقى وأبقى فإذا هو رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فقلت يا رسول الله إنما هي بردة ملحاء قال أما لك في أسوة فنظرت فإذا إزاره إلى نصف ساقيه In this particular narration, uh, Ash'ath ibn Sulaym, rahimullahu ta'ala, he says that I heard my aunt, and his aunt's name was Ruhm, Ruhm, Ruhmun. He says, I heard from my aunt Ruhm, and she relates that she was relating from her uncle, and her uncle's name was Ubaid ibn Khalid. Ubaid ibn Khalid radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So Ubaid bin Khalid radiallahu ta'ala anhu says that I was walking in Medina, or while I was walking in Medina, all of a sudden there was a person behind me. And he was saying that lift up your pants, lift up your lower garment, because it is more God conscious, meaning that it is more spiritually sound, and it is also better for the uh, durability of the garment. And I saw all of a sudden that it was a messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So I said, O oh, messenger of Allah, this is a very uh, old worn out garment. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that, do you not find within me an example or a role model for you? And so I looked and I saw that his lower garment was to the middle of his shin. Now, the first and foremost, of course, um, this is Ubaid bin Khalid radiallahu ta'ala relating that he was walking in the streets of Medina and the Prophet ﷺ was behind him. And it kind of caught him off guard. So this tells you first and foremost that as we've talked about before, the Prophet of Allah ﷺ wasn't the type of person to walk around with some you know, um, security service or with some royal guard or with some entourage or posse. The Prophet ﷺ didn't walk around in that manner. The Prophet ﷺ was a very humble, humble person. And so a lot of times the Prophet ﷺ would get up and just leave his home um, without notifying anyone, meaning that not create a stir, not create a commotion, right? And so the Prophet ﷺ was very humble in that regard. This also tells you a lot of times, well, somebody could counter that by saying that, well, the reason why a lot of times, whether they be leaders or they be prominent people, the reason why they require you know, some type of protection and people to walk around them is for the purpose of safety. And to some degree, that could be valid. And so on the other hand, while this shows you the humility and the simplicity of the Messenger of Allah this also goes to show you the safety and the tranquility of the city of Medina. That the type of place the Prophet ﷺ had established, the type of community had he established, that anyone could walk around in Medina without being perturbed, without being disturbed. Um, and so that was something very particular about the city of Medina and something the Prophet ﷺ went to great lengths 
to ensure and to uh, protect and to uh, preserve within Medina itself. So now, of course, he hears somebody behind him saying, lift up your, what we would say, lift up your pants. Um, and so, meaning lift up that lower garment. And he says that, فَإِنَّهُ أَتْقَى وَأَبْقَى أَتْقَى comes from taqwa. So the Prophet ﷺ is saying, but there is a little bit of an issue here, and I'd like to ex- take this opportunity to explain it. The word atqa in the Arabic language comes from, yes, it comes from taqwa, but the root of the word taqwa in and of itself comes, in and of itself, it comes from the meaning of to protect. So the Prophet ﷺ very well could have been saying that this is more protective for your clothing. This is more protective for you, meaning you won't pick up any type of dirt or you won't pick up any type of bugs or something else like that. So there is that linguistic possibility. That being said, there is another narration. What reaffirms that meaning is that there is another narration, there's another riwayah that is mentioned by some of the commentators um, that in some of the nusakh, in some of the versions of Imam Tirmidhi Shama'il, the word instead of atqa says the word anqa. فَإِنَّهُ anqa مِنَ النَّقِيَّةِ Right? And so, naqi in the Arabic language of course also means clean. It means clean. Alright? So, <clears throat> so, based off of that, we can extrapolate that what the Prophet ﷺ could have also been referring to is the fact that this is cleaner for your clothing. It will protect your clothing from dirt and dust, or even some najasa, even the concept of protecting yourself is also from najasa, that there might be some impurity, some filth that is on the ground. Of course, it's open streets, particularly at that time. So there's a, uh, everyone has animals, whether they be horses or camels and goats and sheep and things like that. So they're very likely are a lot of animal droppings on the street as well. So the Prophet saying is saying, this is atqa, this is more cleaner. Anqa, this is better, this is cleaner. Um, and then he says, abqa. Abqa in the Arabic language, um, of course, means to for something to remain, baqa. And so when you say abqa, means longer lasting. more uh, It'll give it longer life. That basically we know about this, that anybody who... <clears throat> has experienced this when your pants are kind of hanging down or you know uh, scraping against the ground, they get torn up, they get fettered at the bottom. And so the Prophet is saying, this is better for the life of your garment as well. And however, I, at the same time, we should affirm that the Prophet could also be referring to atqa, which comes from taqwa, which means this is more God-conscious, meaning this is more appropriate in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what's the most likely is that the Prophet ﷺ was saying all of the above, all at the same time, jawami'ul kalim, the gift of the Prophet ﷺ to speak at multiple levels. So he says, when I turned around, I saw all of a sudden, meaning mufaja'a. So he says that all of a sudden it was the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. And so I said, O Messenger of God, Ya Rasulullah, hiya burdatun malha. That it is a worn out or a, um, it is a worn out garment. Now there's a couple of different meanings that are given for malha. Some say that literally coming from like milh. So there was a particular type of garment that was black. And then it would have kind of like some white dots or white specks in it. Um, and the thing about that garment was that... <clears throat> That was the garment that they used to like to wear while doing like physical labor and physical work. 
right? So it was like our equivalent of maybe like somebody would consider jeans or something like that that's more durable, that you can work in, that won't get worn out so easily, that this was that type of a garment because it wasn't light colored where it would get filthy if you were working in the fields or something. And it wasn't pure black either to again, to the point where dust would start to show. So it was white kind of sprinkled, it was black sprinkled in with some white and it was very good for covering up, you know, just uh, wear and tear that clothing would receive while doing work. So Ubaid bin Khalid radiallahu ta'ala anhu by saying that this is that type of a garment, he's saying, don't worry, it's nothing special. These aren't my nice clothes that I'm worried about them getting dirty. Or And see, this is why some of the scholars and the commentators say that the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa actually did mean that this is more cleaner for your clothing when he said atqa, not necessarily talking about the concept of like piety or God consciousness, because then the response of Ubaid bin Khalid would make no sense. He's saying, this is more God-conscious for you. And he's saying, oh, don't worry about it, it's a worn-out shawl. What? That doesn't make any sense. Right? So even though he could have been responding to the abqa part, but it just is unimaginable and unfathomable from the sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum that the Prophet says something to them, and then they completely ignore it or dismiss it. Right? لا يعقل It's inconceivable. غير معقول Alright, so for that reason, the many of the commentators on this hadith have taken the position that what the Prophet meant by atqa was anqa, that this is better in terms of the purity of the clothing. You won't get any najasa, any filth or any impurity on your clothing. Wallahu ta'ala a'lamu bisawab. But nevertheless, he responds by saying, don't worry about it, it's nothing special, they're just my work clothes. <clears throat> but the Prophet said that, don't you find a role model or a, uh, an example in me? And then he says, I looked and I saw that his lower garment was to the middle of his shin. <clears throat> so again, the Prophet ﷺ could have been saying, I understand your intent and what you're saying. But even then, it is best for you to keep it higher. <clears throat> the third hadith, حَدَّثَنَا سُوَيْدُ بْنُ نَصْرٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنُ الْمُبَارَكِ عَنْ مُوسَى بْنُ عُبَيْدًا عَنْ إِيَاسِ بْنِ سَلَمَةِ بْنِ الْأَكْوَى عَنْ أَبِيهِ قال كان عثمان بن عفان يأتزل إلى أنصاف ساقيه وقال هكذا كانت إزارة صاحبي يعني النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم سلمة بن الأكوى رضي الله تعالى عنه This is um, a very notable again uh, Sahabi, a companion of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم <coughs> A young Ansari Sahabi um, what's known about him is that obviously he was very brave. Uh, he was an expert archer. Um, he participated in about seven of the campaigns with the Prophet ﷺ. And he was also there at the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. And he was amongst the individuals who gave the Bay'ah to Ridwan, the oath of allegiance that Allah was pleased with under the shade of the tree that Allah speaks about in the Quran. He was amongst them. And it's a very fascinating story, Salma ibn Lakwa, uh, where one time there were some individuals who basically stole some uh, camels uh, from Medina. And Salma ibn Lakwa, by himself, he was very young at this time, he was like a teenager, um, and he was an expert archer. So he started, uh, they stole some horses, excuse me, they stole some horses, and they got on the horses and they were running. And Salma ibn Lakwa, seeing that they were stealing these horses, started running after them, and basically was keeping up with them. And uh, he was shooting arrows as he was running, while he was running. 
um, and he, w- he used to shoot arrows so quickly um, that they couldn't, they weren't, they didn't turn around to see who it was. They just tried to keep running faster. They just assumed that there was like a whole group of men riding horses, shooting arrows at them um, until they reach up on a hill and it was Salma uh, by himself. And that's when they were kind of like, are you kidding? Right? And so then they were like, all right, why don't we just take care of this kid? He said, wait, time out. Hold on. He says, you do see that you're like, whatever distance, you know, maybe like 50 yards or whatever. You do see that you're about 50 yards, 30 yards, whatever away from me. He said, yeah. He said, you do know all of you will be dead before you reach me. <laughs> so then they, they said, okay, never mind. They left the horses and they, <laughs> they left. And he walks back to Medina uh, holding all these horses. And then the Prophet ﷺ was informed about him. And the Prophet ﷺ praised him and uh, thanked him. So this is Salmat ibn al-Aqwa radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He says that Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu ta'ala anhu used to wear his lower garment to the point where it would fall to the middle of his shins. And, he's used, and he said that this is how the lower garment of my friend was. And of course he was referring to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa عن مسلم بن نذير عن حذيفة بن اليمان قال أخذ رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بعضلة بعضلة ساقي أو أو قال ساقه فقال هذا موضع هذا موضع الإزار فإن أبيت فأسفل فإن أبيت فلا حق للإزار في الكعبين حذيفة بن اليمان رضي الله تعالى عنه relates that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, grabbed my calf, or in another narration, one of the transmitters of this narration had a little bit of doubt whether Hudayfa said that the Prophet وسلم, grabbed my calf or he grabbed his own calf. And then pointing to the calf, regardless of whether it was Hudayfa's calf or his own, the Prophet's own calf, he said that this is the place to where the pants or the lower garment should fall. And he says that if that's not okay with you, فَإِنَ بَيْتَ If that's not okay, then a little bit lower. And if that's not even okay, then the pants have no right upon the ankle. Meaning that the pants should not touch the ankle, should not fall below the ankles. So <clears throat> this is Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman radiallahu ta'ala relating that the Prophet Adula in literally in the Arabic language means kind of like flesh. And so he's saying he grabbed the flesh of my shin. And what, that's what the Arabs would basically refer to the calf muscle. So he said the Prophet grabbed my calf or he grabbed his own calf. And that, he pointed to that and said that this is where it's ideal for your pants to fall to, as the, the lower part of the pants. And he says that, it, and so normally the word aba is kind of a very strong word. It means to reject, to deny, right? But that's not how it's being used here. In conversation, a lot of times it was used as, and if that's not okay or that doesn't suffice for you, then he said then lower than that. But he said, and then lower than that, a little bit lower than that, right above, uh, maybe halfway between the sh- middle of the shin and the ankle, then he said then, make sure that it does not go below the ankles. So this was the advice of the Prophet ﷺ to Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. 
the only other thing I wanted to point out in this particular narration before I comment on the issue altogether is that one of the narrators, Muslim ibn Nadir, his name, uh, his father's name is narrated both as, both as Nadir and Nudaid in different manuscripts of the text. So this again brings to light the issue that we've talked about before, and that is about where the uh, bottom, where the for men, first and foremost, this is in regards to men. I'll mention the issue about women in a minute, but um, in regards to men, it talks about how low should one's pants uh, be, and so there's again the narrations where the Prophet ﷺ says, "Ma asfal al nar." Very strong narrations in the hadith in the hadith of Sahih Bukhari that what is below the ankle is in fire. There is, <clears throat> and however, there's a little bit of commentary on that <clears throat> that the Prophet ﷺ said, "Waylulil aqabi min al nar." That the Prophet ﷺ saw some people making wudu. And they were not washing the backs and the bottom of their feet properly. And the Prophet ﷺ said, That be careful because the heels can be burned in the fire due to not being washed properly. So there's some commentary that these types of narrations that only just say, That the Prophet ﷺ is alluding to the same idea that make sure that when you do wudu, you wash the lower part below your ankles, your heels properly. However, that still doesn't change the fact that there are explicit narrations where the Prophet ﷺ mana an nasa an al isbali ila al kaabain that the Prophet ﷺ he told people not to let their pants go below their ankles. He told men not to let their pants go below the ankles. And as I explained earlier that we have the issue, there's a difference of opinion. Classically speaking, traditionally speaking, scholars have been of the opinion that this is something that at the very least is makru, severely disliked for men. And so an effort should be made to try to keep the pants at the very least to the top of the ankle. Now, at the same time, there are some scholars, both classic and contemporary, who also point to the fact that we have an understanding in Usul al-Fiqh that whenever there is a ruling, there is usually an illa or a cause of that ruling. And the most obvious illa that can ever be found for a ruling is one that is stated by the Prophet ﷺ or by the Qur'an for that matter itself. And in that narration, that interaction with Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala where he explicitly asks the Prophet ﷺ that what about my pants that are below my ankles a lot of the time? And the Prophet ﷺ said that you're not doing it out of arrogance or pride. You're not doing it to boast or to brag. Um, and so the Prophet ﷺ basically explicitly states that that was the reason why he had prohibited it. And so the same thing will apply in our situation where now it doesn't become so much of a standardized ruling, but it becomes more of a personal call of an individual that if it does start to contribute to a person's arrogance or a person becomes self-conscious, if their pants are ever rolled up or something like that, then they can know that maybe there's a little bit of an issue or a problem here. It is somehow feeding into my you know, ego or my perception of myself um, versus if somebody just casually puts on a pair of pants or picks up a pair of pants off the rack, like just buys a pair of pants and they fall maybe just a little bit below the ankle, but there's not particularly an issue of arrogance or anything like that pertaining to it, then it will not be problematic. Wallahu ta'ala a'lamu bis-sawab. The next chapter, Babu Maja'afi Mishyati Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is the chapter about the 
style of walking of the Messenger of Allah How did he used to walk? And again, why is it being mentioned here? Very obvious after talking about kind of the clothes of the Prophet and particularly the narrations referring to where and how his pants fell. So naturally, your gaze was to, would, would fall on his feet. So now he's describing how would you see the feet of the Prophet moving? How would he walk? We've seen um, a lot of these narrations or what it's talking about before. The first narration is a little bit more unique. So inshallah, I'll add a little extra commentary in regards to that one. The first hadith of this chapter, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا قُتَيْبَةُ بْنُ سَعِيدٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا إِبْنُ عَنْ أَبِي عن أبي هريرة رضي الله تعالى عنه قال ما رأيت شيئا أحسن من رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم كأن الشمس تجري في وجهه ولا رأيت أحدا أسرع في مشيته من رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم كأنما الأرض تطوى له وإن لنجهد أنفسنا وإنه لغير مكترث Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, I never saw anything more beautiful than the Messenger of Allah sallallahu It was as if the sun was moving in his face. And I never saw anyone who walked more swiftly or quicker than the Messenger of Allah sallallahu It was as if the earth would fold for him. And we used to struggle, we used to fight ourselves, meaning we used to struggle to keep up with him, and he wasn't even trying. So now to explain some of the concepts and some of the language that he, Abu Hurair is using. First and foremost, something that's very fascinating. He says, Your book should say, It should say, you can correct that. Just ma. Ma ra'aytu. So he says, I never saw anything more beautiful than the Messenger of Allah Sentence. That's what's just remarkable. That's it. There's no qualifiers. I never saw anything more beautiful than the Messenger of Allah at this time or at that time in this situation. That No, no, no. I just never saw anything more beautiful than the Messenger of Allah Period. Foolish stop. Alright? Then he says that it was as if the sun was moving in his face. Now what that basically means is that his face was more radiant than the sun. His face was more radiant than the sun. And he says, and I never saw anyone who walked more swiftly, more quickly than the Messenger of Allah It was as if, It was as if the earth was folding for him. Right, so basically, in the Arabic language, again, to understand um, this expression in the Arabic language, they when something moves very, very quickly, they talk about the earth basically folding. They talk about the earth folding. You're covering a lot of ground very, very quickly. So he said it was like the earth would fold for him. He used to walk so quickly, and he said we used to have to work. We used to have to. Like we used to get exhausted trying to keep up with him. And he says, Iktirath in the Arabic language means that basically trying to do something. Trying to do something. 
وَإِنَّهُ لَغَيْرُ مُكْتَرِثٍ لَغَيْرُ مُبَالٍ Like he wasn't trying to, he didn't intend to walk fast. He wasn't trying to like leave us behind. But we just can keep up with him. And so what's the, what's the purpose of mentioning that? A few different things. The benefits of mentioning that. Number one, first and foremost, we're going to see another narration as well. I'll go ahead and just kind of mention it here very quickly. That first and foremost tells you the Prophet ﷺ walking very quickly and swiftly like this. Number one was the Prophet ﷺ didn't like shuffle his feet. He didn't drag his feet. He didn't just kind of like shuffle along aimlessly. Right? So that wasn't the way the Prophet ﷺ walked. The Prophet ﷺ didn't walk like just someone who had nowhere better to be or nothing better to do. Just kind of shuffling around, wasting time. That wasn't the Prophet ﷺ. The other thing is that this physically also shows the health of the Prophet ﷺ, that the Prophet ﷺ was a very active, healthy person. He used to walk a lot. Right? The Prophet ﷺ was quite free. He was in the habit of walking around. So even if it was a little bit of distance, where easily he could have ridden at the very least the donkey to go from one side of Medina to the other, the Prophet used to prefer to walk. So he's a very healthy, active person, exercising basically. And then the third thing that it also tells you is again, like I mentioned before, the Prophet ﷺ was an extremely efficient and productive person. That the Prophet ﷺ, you know, something that's very fascinating, right? Is that when we talk about being busy, when we talk about you know, being productive and we're very busy and we have a lot going on, what's very fascinating is that we waste a lot of time just you know, with ourselves, so to speak. We waste a lot of time in and of ourselves. We'll walk around as if there's nothing better to do, shuffling around, right, wasting time. And we'll do those things. And then when somebody who is deserving of our time actually does request our time, then all of a sudden we're very busy. No, no, I'm very busy. I can't talk. Very busy. Can't talk. No, no, no. I have a lot of work I have to do. Right? And that, that type of, you know, back then, like a pastime or just kind of wasting time was something like just kind of shuffling around, kicking along rocks, just kind of walking around, doing nothing. In our time, it's obviously been replaced with other, you know, gadgets and devices and distractions. So I'll be there on my phone, you know, reading a long article on ESPN.com, <laughs> right, about Tony Romo's completion percentage, right, just pointless, useless, has no benefit, la fi dunya wa la fi l'akhira, right, at least if I got paid for this stuff, it'd be something, right, la fi dunya wa la fi l'akhira, there's no benefit for it whatsoever, but then what happens, my daughter comes up to me, right, my Maryam comes up to me, Abu, can you help me, can you read this, can you do this? And I'm like, oh no, no, baby, I have a lot of emails I have to answer. I'm very busy right now. Now all of a sudden it's time to do emails. Right? And so that's kind of, the Prophet didn't waste time like in useless things like this. When he had to get from point A to point B, he quickly walked to get to that point so that he would have that extra 5, 10, 15, whatever minutes that would have spent dilly-dallying around, kind of wandering about. Right, that time that was saved, that 10-15 minutes that was saved, that was 10-15 minutes that he could dedicate to somebody. More attention he could pay to somebody. More dhikr and ibadah and worship that he could do. So on and so forth. Whatever it is that you needed to do. Right, that time could have been spent a lot better. So these are some of the benefits from how the Prophet ﷺ used to walk. The next hadith, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَلِي بْنُ حُجْرٍ وَغَيْرُ وَاحِدٍ قَالُوا أَنْبَأَنَا عِيسَ بْنُ يُونُسَ عَنُ عُمَرِ بْنِ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ مَوْلَى غُفْرًا 
قال أخبرني إبراهيم بن محمد محمد من ولد علي بن أبي طالب رضي الله تعالى عنه قال كان علي رضي الله تعالى عنه إذا وصف النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال كان إذا مشى تقلع كأنما ينحط من صبب Ibrahim ibn Muhammad, who is from the offspring, like the progeny from the children of Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says that Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when he would describe the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he would say that when he used to walk, he would pull his feet up from the ground. He would pull his feet up from the ground. Meaning that he used to completely raise his feet. It was as if the Prophet ﷺ was standing on a decline. It was as if he was declining. So the Prophet ﷺ would walk with humility, slightly leaning forward, but he still used to walk with purpose and raise his feet completely. We've talked about this narration. The third uh, narration in this chapter, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا سُفْيَانُ بْنُ وَكِيعٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَبِي عَنِ الْمَسْعُودِ عَنْ عُثْمَانِ بْنِ مُسْلِمِ بْنِ هُرْمُزْ عَنْ نَافِعِ عن نافع ابن جبير بن مطعم عن علي بن أبي طالب كرم الله وجهه قال كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا مشى تكفأت كفؤا كأنما ينحط من سبب علي بن أبي طالب رضي الله تعالى عنه says that when the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم would walk the Prophet of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم would slightly lean forward and it was as if he was standing on a decline it was as if he was inclined forward. The next chapter, hadith number 20. Babu ma jaa fi taqannu'i Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The chapter about the cloth the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to place on his head. Qala haddathana Yusuf ibn Isa, qala haddathana Waki'un, qala haddathana Rabi'u ibn Sabih, an Yazid ibn Aban, an Anas ibn Malikin, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu qal, kana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yukthiru al-qina'a, ka'anna thawbahu thawbu zayyat. Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu ta'ala anhu relates that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would place a cloth very frequently on his head, in that cloth looked as if it was a cloth belonging to someone who makes oil, or it looked as if the cloth had been soaked in oil. And so again, the Prophet ﷺ, when he would apply oil to his hair, so not as to not get oil on his clothes or his, you know, imama as we talked about, or on his pillow or something like that, the Prophet ﷺ would take a cloth and he would place it on his head and allow it to basically suck up or dry up uh, a lot of the oil that might have been on the top of his hair so that it wouldn't get anywhere else. One of the interesting things that I found, and we'll be talking about this more, is that another thing that the Prophet ﷺ used to do, he had this yellow cloth, and maybe it was yellow because over time that it became yellow because of the oil. Um, and of course he would wash it. So when it says, the cloth looked as if it had oil, but it didn't actually have oil. Because the Prophet ﷺ was an extremely, impeccably clean person. So after he would use the cloth, he would wash it properly. 
But over time, it had just become kind of stained with the oil, but he would always wash it, always clean it. He didn't keep around dirty materials like this. Um, but one thing I found very fascinating was that it maybe it looked yellow because of the usage and the oil over time. But the Prophet ﷺ, the cloth, some narrations mentioned that it was a little bit bigger. And the Prophet ﷺ actually would tie it around his head. So, a bandana. Very cool. Maybe not. All right. Babu Majafi, Jil Sati Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Chapter number 21. The chapter about how the Messenger of Allah sallallahu used to sit. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ بْنُ حُمَيْدِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَفَانُ بْنُ مُسْلِمْ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنُ حَسَّانِ عَنْ جَدَّتَيْهِ عَنْ قَيْلَ بِنْتْ مَخْرَمَ أَنَّهَا رَأَتْ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم في المسجد وهو قاعد القرفصاء القرفصاء قالت فلما رأيت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم المتخشع في الجلسة أرعدت من الفراق This is a narration that we've seen a part of it before this is the other part of the narration that Qayla bint Makhrama radiyallahu ta'ala anha this is a sahabiya a woman she says that she saw the Messenger of Allah ﷺ in the masjid. And he was sitting with his arms tied around his legs. And she says that when I saw the Messenger of Allah ﷺ sitting with such humility, when I saw the Prophet ﷺ sitting with such humility, I started to shake or quiver because of just the awe that was inspired within me by looking at him. So this narration, to give you the complete narration, we've seen a part of it before, um, that when Qayla radiallahu ta'ala anha entered into the masjid, and she saw the Prophet ﷺ, and she says that he was sitting in the position of Al-Qurfusa. Al-Qurfusa in the Arabic language, there's a couple of different opinions about what it refers to. Um, I'll give you the minority position first and I'll tell you a majority of the scholars how they interpret it. The minority position that some of the scholars mentioned that this refers to is, imagine if somebody is sitting in the tashahud position like we sit in salah, on your knees. Somebody sitting in the tashahud position and then with their hands, they're kind of leaning forward on the ground. With their hands leaning forward on the ground, kind of hunched over, like somebody would be kind of deep in thought that that's how the Prophet ﷺ was sitting. The other interpretation of what Al-Qurfusa means, and that's the more um, sound opinion, based on just the meaning of the word and the research of the word, and the usage of the word in classical Arabic poetry as well, there's another word for it in Arabic, we're going to see it, and it's called Al-Ihtiba. But this is a little bit different. Al-Ihtiba means that when you sit, you sit on your backside, and then you put your legs up in front of you, you stand your legs up in front of you. And normally what they would do is the Arabs, because it talks about it, they used to call this Hitanul Arab, the wall of the Arabs. The reason for that was that the Arabs, of course, they lived in the desert. There weren't a lot of trees, right? Um, these were very simple, especially the Bedouins, very simple folks. They didn't even have a lot of walls and things like that. They used to live in tents. And so because there wasn't a lot to lean on, 
right? There wasn't a lot of places that you could lean on, like a wall or trees and things like that. So the Arabs had developed kind of a way to sit that felt kind of like you were leaning against something. Where they would sit, they would put their feet up around them, and then they would take like a sheet like the imama or something like that, and they would tie it around their legs. They would tie it around, and they would tie it very tight, and that way you could let your arms go, and your legs just stayed. It was a party, right? I don't know if you've ever done it. I've actually slept. All right, so it was pretty remarkable. So this is how they would sit. Now, Al-Qurfusah is a little bit different because that's a very elaborate kind of a procedure. I mean, not very elaborate, but nevertheless, it requires like, you, you have to have something that you can tie around yourself. So you have to have a scarf or an imama or something um, that you can tie around yourself. So number one, you gotta have something and then you gotta actually tie it around you. Well, what if somebody didn't have something that they could tie around themselves? Then you just kinda throw your hands around your knees and just kinda hold on like that. And so that is what was referred to as Al-Qurfusah. And so it's a very humble position. It's a very humble position of sitting because it was associated with the Arab, the Bedouins, simple people, peasants, you know, just uh, people sitting on the side of the road or the street. Very simple, humble position of sitting. And so the Prophet is sitting in the masjid, just sitting there like this. Instead of climbing up, he's not giving khutbah, so instead of climbing up and just sitting on the mimbar, you know, with a nice pose, Right? The Prophet doesn't sit in the masjid like this, ready, take a picture, go ahead. Right? That's not the Messenger of Allah right? He's not like striking a pose all the time. He's sitting in the masjid, reflecting, thinking about the greatness of Allah, maybe reflecting on the Qur'an, maybe he's thinking about the plight of the people, maybe he's worried or concerned about someone, whatever the case may be. And so the Prophet is sitting there, just like you would see like a humble, maybe a miskeen off the street would come and sit down in the masjid and would just sit down and put their arms around their knees like this. The the Prophet ﷺ is just sitting there like that. Al-Mutakhashir. Very humbly. With great humility. And so she says that when she walks in, and she sees the Prophet ﷺ sitting there with such humility, knowing he's the messenger of God. Muhammadur Rasulullah ﷺ. A man whom Allah addresses with titles. Ya ayyuhan nabiyu. Ya ayyuhan rasulu. The beloved of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Habibu rabbil alameen. The most remarkable human being to ever walk the face of this earth. And he sits there like this, just so humble. Unassuming. That she said, I was so moved by this. So inspired with awe. That I just started to like shake. Like it gripped me, it had a profound effect on me. And she says that the Prophet ﷺ, he just said to her, he said, Uskuni, just relax. And she said, the second he said that to me, I just calmed down and I sat down. Right? <clears throat> so this was how she observed the Prophet sitting. So of course, what we learn from this is, the fact that the Prophet was very humble, very modest in that regard. The second hadith, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا سَعِيدُ بْنُ عَبْدِ الرَّحْمَنَ الْمَخْزُومِ وَغَيْرُ وَاحِدٍ قالوا حدثنا سفيان عن الزهري عن عباد بن تميم عن عمه أنه رأى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم مستلقيا في المسجد واضعا إحدى رجليه على الأخرى So Abad bin Tamim رحم الله تعالى He relates from his uncle whose name is Abdullah ibn Zayd ibn Abdi Rabbihi رضي الله تعالى عنه 
This is again a very well-known Sahabi. There's a couple of things that are to his credit. First and foremost, he was the Sahabi who was shown the dream of the Adhan and came and told the Prophet ﷺ that he had seen this dream of the Adhan. This is that same Sahabi, the uncle of Abbad bin Tamim. The second thing that is also uh, to his credit is that he was um, uh, the other person when Wahshi was trying to kill Musaylama al-Kadhab, the liar, that Abdullah bin Zayd radiallahu ta'ala anhu was the other person that was there trying to race to kill him. So Abdullah bin Zayd bin Abdi Rabbihi radiallahu ta'ala anhu is a sahabi of the Prophet He says he saw the Prophet laying down in the masjid on his back and he had one leg placed on top of the other leg. So mustalqiyan, now to explain again, mustalqiyan refers to um, laying down flat on your back. So the Prophet ﷺ was laying down flat on his back. The reason why he notes this specifically is of course when the Prophet ﷺ would sleep, The Prophet ﷺ used to sleep on his right side when he would sleep. But he saw the Prophet ﷺ one time just in the masjid, lying down very casually, and he was lying down flat on his back. And he had one leg crossed over the other leg. One foot crossed over the other foot. Right? That's, that's is very common. And he was laying there like this. Now, there's a little bit of a discussion here because there is a narration from the Prophet ﷺ where he says, لا يستلقينا أحدكم ثم يضع إحدى رجله على الأخرى None of you should lie down and then place one leg on top of another leg. The Prophet ﷺ said, none of you should lay down on your back and then place one leg on top of the other leg. And he says, I saw the Prophet ﷺ laying on his back with one foot crossed over the other foot. So the difference here is number one, the scholars they mention that what the Prophet ﷺ, again, keep in mind what type of clothes they used to wear. That they used to wear that lower garment. Basically, it was the izar, what in some languages or cultures is called the lungi, right? So the way that it's worn is kind of like just tying a towel around your waist, like in ihram. How we wear it and how men wear it in ihram. That's how they used to wear it. And so when the Prophet ﷺ says, none of you should lie on your back and then place one leg on top of the other leg, the Prophet ﷺ is saying that basically you, you put one leg up like you bend your knee and then you cross your leg over it. For obvious reason. So, uh, because nobody wants to see that. So the Prophet ﷺ, that's what he was referring to. But when the Prophet ﷺ is seen lying in the masjid, flat on his back, and he has his legs crossed over, his legs are straight flat on the ground, his clothes are flat on the ground. It's just simply the fact that his feet are crossed over. Not that his entire leg is crossed over, where he can open up his clothing, right, and expose his aura. And that's what he told Sahaba not to do because sometimes there might have been younger Sahaba or uh, people like that who might not have been so aware or conscious of that fact. And you know, maybe they did that, maybe the Prophet saw it, maybe there were some complaints in the community. Um, so the Prophet said, no, 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 no. Um, but as for what the Prophet was doing, it was not that case at all. But rather, he had his feet out, uh, legs out straight, and just his feet were crossed over at the ankles. So that was the difference. And of course, uh, Imam Tirmidhi, uh, or let me comment on this in just a minute. The, let's read the third narration. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا سَلْمَةُ بْنُ شَبِيبِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنُ إِبْرَاهِيمِ الْمَدَنِي قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا 
إسحاق بن محمد الأنصاري عن ربيح بن عبد الرحمن بن أبي سعيد عن أبيه عن جده أبي سعيد الخدري رضي الله تعالى عنه قال كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا جلس في المسجد احتبى بيديه أبو سعيد الخدري رضي الله تعالى عنه again a very great companion of the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم he says that when the Prophet of Allah ﷺ would sit in the masjid, he would a lot of times wrap his arms around his legs and sit. Again, put up his knees. That when he would sit in the masjid, he would not tie you know, a cloth or like a shawl or whatever to his legs and hold them up. But he would basically place his arms around his knees when he would sit, his legs. Alright? Now, to explain uh, basically some of the issues pertaining to this. Number one, the first thing that needs to be clarified here is that there is a narration in which the Prophet ﷺ prohibited the Sahaba from doing ihtiba in the masjid. There is a narration where the Prophet ﷺ specifically told the Sahaba not to put up their legs and then tie something around their legs in the masjid. And the reason for that was he told them not to do that during the the khutbah. He told them not to do that during the khutbah. Right? That would be no different than the, you know, somebody advising someone not to go and sit and lean against a wall in the khutbah. If that is going to make you lazy or not pay attention or fall asleep, right? Even though in our scenarios, a lot of times, you could be standing up and fall asleep in a khutbah, right? <laughs> but that's for different reasons. This is the Messenger of Allah, Muhammad Rasulullah giving khutbah. So if you fall asleep in the khutbah of the Messenger of Allah it is nothing but your ghafla, your own heedlessness. You're making yourself lazy, you're distracting yourself. Right? And the Sahaba were very hardworking people. Many people would travel to Jumu'ah from a couple of you know, hours away. They would ride in in the desert in the, at noontime. Right? So people were tired, people were exhausted. Some people were working out in the fields. Farmers, they're very tired. They've been working since Fajr, so on and so forth. So it was very understandable that if they kind of made themselves a little too comfortable, that they would doze off and go to sleep. And so that's why the Prophet ﷺ told them not to do that ihtiba, not to tie anything around their legs when they sat, because then they, it was like leaning against a the wall, they were very prone to falling asleep. So that's why the Prophet ﷺ prohibited that. Having said that, that has a specific context. Imam Tirmidhi rahimullah ta'ala brings three different narrations. In the, in the first and in the last narration, the Prophet ﷺ is basically again sitting there with his legs up, but he has his hands or his arms around his legs. And the Prophet ﷺ is demonstrating that if you're just casually sitting in the masjid, it's okay for you to sit like that. But specifically, just to maintain the adab of the masjid, even when he was just kind of sitting and reflecting and just spending time in the house of Allah, the reason why he would still not tie something else around his legs, you can do at home whatever you want, but in the masjid he wouldn't tie something else around his legs, was that it just was not befitting of the etiquette of the masjid. A little bit of adab, a little bit of etiquette. And again, being the leader, the qudwa, the one that everyone looks up to and follows, the Prophet was very particular in that regard. Right? So we can take a little bit from that. That there might be some very casual methods of sitting that we normally might enjoy in whatever casual settings we have. Right? But in the masjid, it's, it's, um, 
the Prophet ﷺ is teaching us to be a little bit more appropriate and reserved. If nothing else, out of respect for the masjid. And Imam Tirmidhi, the second narration that he brings, that the Prophet ﷺ was lying down in the masjid with his legs crossed over, that is to again demonstrate the fact that if somebody is maybe doing i'tikaf or spending an extended period of time in the masjid, and they decide to lie down, then that is also acceptable, that is appropriate, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right? That at the same time, while maybe if there is a gathering going on and there are other people in the masjid or something is going on, you want to be a little bit more appropriate and that's why the Prophet ﷺ was being more appropriate. However, there are also times kind of downtime or off hours or between prayers where you're kind of spending some time take a nap, whatever it may be in the masjid. And so that should also be kept in mind and that should also be remembered. There is another narration as well. And again, uh, Imam Tirmidhi brings a second narration that if the Prophet lied down, laid down in the masjid, right, he would lie down in the masjid, and that means sitting in any particular position was something that was okay and acceptable. However, there is a very uh, beautiful narration that says, uh, it's in the Sunan of Imam Abu Dawood, and it's an authentic narration, that Annahu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam akana ida salla al-fajra tarabba'a fi majlisihi hatta tatlu'a al-shamsu hasna. Ay bayda naqiyya. That the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he, after he would pray salat al-fajr, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would sit cross-legged. You know, like a comfortable position of sitting. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would sit cross-legged, um, waiting for the sun to completely rise up. So when he would spend time in the masjid from Fajr until the sun rose, whether he was doing dhikr or answering people's questions, the Prophet did sit comfortably. Right? It's not like he sat in tashahud position all the time permanently. The Prophet would sit cross-legged and be comfortable. Alright. That's it. Inshallah. Uh, I wanted to mention one thing. Sorry, about something that we read. Uh, the last hadith that we read in this chapter about how the Prophet ﷺ used to sit. Something very fascinating. You see that it says that Rubayh ibn Abdul Rahman ibn Abi Sa'id. So how the Prophet ﷺ used to sit, Abu Sa'id ibn Khudri radiallahu ta'ala anhu saw this, and he told his son how the prophet how he saw the prophet sitting and then his son abdurrahman taught his son rubaih and told his son about how his father had told him how he had seen the prophet sitting so again you see the fact that the generation of the sahaba radiyallahu ta'ala anhum did not outsource the islamic education of their children and number two, one of the primary things that they would teach their children, and their ch- children taught their children, was about the Messenger of Allah And what did they teach them about the Messenger of Allah Before they got too technical and taught them a bunch of complex hadith about fiqh or aqaid or something else, they told them, they described to them the Prophet how he used to walk, how he used to sit. How we used to speak to people. They created love for the Messenger of Allah. There's a very, very powerful lesson here. Our responsibility to our future generations, right? Whether we are addressing the needs of children, whether we are addressing the needs of the youth um, at a communal level, and particularly when we're addressing it inside the home at a family level. 
our first and foremost obligation and their first and foremost right is to create love for Allah, to create love for the Book of Allah, and to create love for the Messenger of Allah Technicalities, all these other different things, they, they all come later. But first and foremost, create love. And that will open doors to many, many things. They will read the Book of Allah themselves once they fall in love with Allah. They will go and look at the ahadith of the Prophet ﷺ and read all the ahadith. Once they develop love for the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, when they feel like they can, they can see this man, and they admire him, and they respect him, and they love him, that's the game changer. right? And that's what we need to do. That's what we need to focus on. Many, many of us, unfortunately, just because of the dynamics in our community and it's a work in progress, inshallah. Many of us, even as adults here, didn't necessarily grow up with that. And that's why so much of our effort is focused on developing of that respect and that love and that admiration. Because again, that is what opens the doors. Sometimes, sometimes, and I want to say this very cautiously, that it's not a shortcoming in the book of Allah, or it's not, وَلَعَيَاذُ billah, God forbid. Right? It's not a shortcoming in the Messenger of Allah said, May Allah protect us from ever thinking even that. Because of my shortcoming, because of my feeble-mindedness, my lack of depth or intelligence, there might actually be something that I might not initially understand or be able to grasp or wrap my head around. But the thing that will keep me connected, and keep me going. And not even cause me to flinch. Without a hitch, I'll just keep rolling. Is love. Understand that. That a lot of times what happens today is, when somebody hears one ayah, that they initially when hearing it, they can't figure out or wrap their head around. Or they hear a hadith and it's like, what? Huh? Why? It breaks their iman, it breaks their faith. Bas khalas, finish, done. Because of a lack of foundation. It's wobbly, it's a wobbly structure. Wind blows and if it falls, keels right over. And what is that foundation? That foundation is love. Love of Allah and love of the Messenger of Allah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the love of Allah and His Messenger sallallahu And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to inspire that love within our families and children and communities. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be a means of delivering that love of Allah and His Messenger sallallahu to all of humanity, to all of mankind. Amin ya rabbal alameen. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanakallah wa bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nasaghfirka wa natubu ilayhi.